Welcome to our show, Holding Ground. My name is Laura Richer. I'm a psychotherapist and the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. Each week, I'm joined by another therapist from the Anchor Light team to tackle important topics in mental health and psychotherapy. Our goal is to promote well-being by normalizing mental health challenges. We are here holding ground for you. Good afternoon and welcome to Holding Ground, where we bring you a little bit of everything in the world of therapy and positive mental health. My name is Laura Richer, and I'm a psychotherapist and the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And today we have a very special guest, Karen Lee, who is the CEO of Pioneer Human Services, an amazing organization that serves communities in Washington state by supporting individuals integrating back into the community after incarceration, as well as supporting business by helping these same individuals reenter the labor market. So good afternoon, Karen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So Pioneer Human Services, I was so excited to have you on the show because it's such an important and impactful organization doing amazing things here in the state of Washington. And I would just love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about uh, the organization and the history of Pioneer Human Services. Absolutely. Thank you. Pioneer was founded in 1963 by an individual who had substance use disorder and he suffered from alcoholism. And he was a lawyer here in town. And unfortunately, he uh, began to use his client funds um, as a source for his drinking. And that is something that will get you disbarred, unfortunately, and sent to prison. And uh, so while he was in um, prison, and this is back in the 60s, you have to remember, volunteers from AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, would come and they would hold uh, uh sessions at the prisons and uh, and they worked for him and so when he left prison he decided that he would buy a house so that folks that he was in AA with in um in at the Walla Walla Penitentiary would have a place to live and uh and then after he got that house established, he realized in very short order that many employers in town wouldn't hire people that had a felony conviction on their record and uh, was able to work a relationship with Boeing so that the folks that were staying in the house, his housemates, would be able to have a place to work. And that one contract in that one small house is the beginning of Pioneer Human Services, who today is serves 10,000 people a year. We're spread throughout wow. the state of Washington. We have more than 40 locations. We have over 640 housing units, and we have a number of residential treatment centers throughout the state. And, um, and of course, we um, have an aerospace manufacturing company that's one of the largest in the state. So we've come quite a long ways from the one house. Yeah. Yes, a place for six people to work. That is so amazing. And one of the things I think is so cool about Pioneer Human Services is that they support people on every level. So they support them with housing, mental health services, work training. Why do you think that approach has been so effective? I think that that approach is effective is because that is what people need. So if you only offer one of those 
service arms and they're not able to get the other ones and the other ones align with basic needs housing is an example so if we offer job training which a lot of people do a lot of organizations do but we don't have housing and then your clients are living in their cars and they're going to job training it's really really difficult it's very hard to live in your car and to and to be able to adhere to to any type of treatment or any type of training it's just yeah. it's really not doable. What is the likelihood if someone doesn't have housing that they will will return to, to prison? That is a good question. I don't have a specific answer, but I would say it's probably on the order of 70% or not wow. going to have a, a strong treatment outcome. And what are some of the, I mean, I know there's a lot of challenges too for people who aren't receiving services to even, even getting housing when they get out of out of prison. There is because just a number of landlords, like many of us who they grew up watching law and order. And so everything that they know about the, uh, the criminal legal system is something they've seen on TV. And so they have this predisposition in their head um, that, um, that it, it's that people are just uniformly bad and they, they're not thinking about trauma. They're not thinking of injustices in the in the criminal um, legal system um, and the way that crimes are are punished and how over policing occurs and then they don't understand the role of addiction and mental health um, challenges how they can impact someone's behavior so I think that um, and it hasn't been limited to our generation I mean prior to my generation my you know Perry Mason was Mm -hmm. Uh, a good TV show that people used to watch. So I think that there's a lot of prejudice that's built up because of uh, popular media. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have always loved watching Law of Law and Order, but that is such the whole good guy, bad guy. It's so much more complex than that. And for people whose lives aren't touched by incarceration and don't, aren't, don't see the big picture of that, that can really skew your perception. Exactly. And they don't understand the role of trauma and mm-hmm. how that impacts a person as they begin to make um, um, antisocial decisions and how those decisions will escalate with time. And then they don't, they don't understand the, the peaking nature of that type of behavior. Most people, when they're at the age of 27, are mm-hmm. even if they were in, in behavior that we would consider we'd, that you know bad behavior, they're not doing that at the age 27. It's just that society has shut them out and they have, they yeah. feel they don't have any other options. Yeah. And they don't have the resources to cope with that trauma. How big of a, when you're working with clients, I know you offer mental health resources to them. How, how important of an aspect is that to somebody getting back on their feet after they are incarcerated? It is really, really important. And one of the things that we've had to do is to is we want we have to offer individualized treatment planning and to make and then you have to offer that treatment at the appropriate time. I think that what society wants Pioneer to do is to start right away with job training. I mean, it is that they want immediate job training, whereas we've learned that um, you have to take care of health first. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and in and physical health, mental health, we have to take care of health before we can expect that person to be a productive employee. Yeah, if people who have untreated trauma are not going to be high functioning employees that they're going to need to re- 
learn coping skills and address past issues before they're really able to integrate back into society. So you exactly. would, there's a pressure though, to just get people right back to work. Well, that is what uh, society wants in general. And yeah. so that pressure comes through um, uh, contracting opportunities because uh, a county will say, or a state will, will offer contracts to nonprofits that um, require a, a job search as a component of that contract. And it could be someone who is um, severely distressed and, and, and severely unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And that was not the best option for that individual at that time. Right. So, and so how do you continue to serve those clients when they're not ready to go back to work yet? We try to attach clients to all the benefits that they have. Mm-hmm. And so typically that will um, involve Social Security, um, Medicaid. Um, uh, There's some county level uh, contracts and city level funding sources as well. But those are the big ones. We want to attach people to benefits. Okay. And are you able to service, uh, serve the, the amount of need there is? Or is there a lot more expansion that needs to happen? I think that there's more expansion um, that needs to happen. I would say... With respect to um, basic needs, 90% of people today are covered through with health insurance, many through Medicaid if they don't have private insurance. And then the ones that aren't covered, um, say it's someone who might be an immigrant that doesn't have um, that doesn't have all of their uh, documents in order. There are non-Medicaid funding sources that we can use. So for many of the people that we serve were able to at least attach them to their health benefits as they come to see us. Fantastic. Housing though is, is, uh, is, is a big challenge. So tell me a little bit more about that. What are some of the challenges you're seeing with housing right now? I know cha- just in the cost of housing is a challenge for, for everyone right now. I mean, a lot of people are are not securely housed in King County, and, and we read a lot about that, and we see that um, every day, and there's many, many reasons for it. Um, certainly, the cost um, is a factor, the cost of living here, but I also think it's our attitudes towards um, mental illness and our willingness to fund support programs um, for that, and, and then... And, and the funding silos for certain program types may not be the type of program that person wants at that mm-hmm. time. So I don't think that we have enough options for people um, because uh, at the end of the day, everyone wants to make their own decisions about how they want to live their life. Yeah. And, and if you only have one particular type of program and a person doesn't want to do that, then um, you're kind of stuck in a quandary. You're like, I have, I can help you. And they're like, I don't want that help. I want this help over here. Right. So, yeah. And that's, that's a lot of what we have going on in King County. If, and uh, I don't know if you've ever had a DESC, Downtown Emergency Service Mm -hmm. Center on the show, but they will, their philosophy is every single person that you see that is unhoused on the streets can be helped. every single person. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just a matter of us delivering the right set of services at the right time, at the right dosage for that individual. 
Right. Well, and I, earlier on in my career, I worked in community mental health and with a homeless pop, pop, population with uh, is, addiction issues. And the barriers to receiving treatment were so great. You needed to be sober before you could enter treatment. Well, that's going to be really challenging if you're homeless to stay sober for a week or two weeks, whatever the requirement was, to be able to to enter treatment. That's highly unlikely. So setting up those obstacles to treatment, you're not going to be able to help everyone. But I love that philosophy of of DSC that you can help someone if you give them the right Mm -hmm. opportunities. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we still have, I mean, there are a number of programs today that uh, require sobriety the day you arrive. There are, there's a detox in King County that requires Mm -hmm. sobriety before you come for 24 hours. I mean, who's going to have that? And on top of it, we still bifurcate our services more than we should. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that as a county, we are trying to get better, but um, oftentimes um, substance use disorder is treated like by itself mm-hmm. when um, there's a lot other, there's a lot of other things going on. So, yes. Yeah. Which underlying mental illness that, that is being, they're choosing to self-medicate with substances or trauma. I mean, trauma is probably the biggest factor in substance yes. use. And I think in the mental health field, we're just now really starting to embrace that more so, especially in a treatment for addiction, that mm-hmm. that it's not, you know, just about making the right choices, that it's a much more complex issue than that. So what it, when you think about educating people or just in different ways that society can see this issue, what would you like people to understand that maybe the general public doesn't doesn't see or get right now? I would like for people, for the public to um, understand the role of trauma mm. and, um, and just to take a breath and uh, not to make an assumptions about someone um, because of a certain act they may have done today. Yeah. You know, so many things could have happened in that person's life um, that um, are, are, are just very, very just, I, you're, you're, you know, you're surprised that they even made it as far as they have. Yeah. And so I think for us to just have some grace and say, all right, this is a person that has had some experiences and I don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. And this is the best way that person can to cope with them. Right. Yeah. And that some of these behaviors are, are the only coping tools that are available to them at the time Mm -hmm. that they choose to make those choices. And yeah, I think that would, that unfortunately, the law and order, uh, while it's very entertaining, is not creating a very accurate picture of what what is happening for people right now. Exactly. So I saw you uh, in a different podcast that you did, um, and you had referenced how Sweden handled incarceration, mm-hmm. and that you wish that the, the United States could take an approach right like that. What what is their system like, and how what, how can we be better? Well, you know, uh, the proportion of people that they incarcerate is much, sw- much smaller than the United States. And, and their sentence lengths are shorter. And while they're incarcerated, they're treated with dignity and respect. And to some degree, you could say with love. And the point is, is that what they want to do there is, okay, they're going to separate a person from the rest of society. That's what incarceration is. But while that person is separated, they're not going to treat them like an animal, like they're a bad person. They're going to treat them in a way that um, reinforces um, civility and humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, 
with the eye that this person will be released from incarceration in a few years? And what kind of person are going to, are we going to release? It's so interesting that that our perceptive is, perception is that it should be a punitive experience. So you're going to send somebody who has done something that has to separate them from society and then further traumatize them and then release them and there's supposed to be a great outcome. It's it's very counterintuitive. <laughs> well, actually it's not counterintuitive because um to some degree you know, our system is designed, you know, to um, to incarcerate people, particularly people um, that are black and brown. Mm. So it's actually doing what it's intended to do. And then while while a person is incarcerated, um, that experience is so traumatizing. Um, it really, really makes the ability to trust almost non-existent. Right. And that's a fundamental skill I think we need as human beings. Yeah, yeah. I would love to hear if you have some stories of maybe individuals that have had really successful, positive experiences through Pioneer Human Services that stands out to you, like the good that can come from this approach. Well, our results are stunningly good. Um, 96% of people... For example, in our job training program, which we call Roadmap to Success, 90% of them um, live a crime-free life forever. Wow. And, um, and we measure that, you know, um, you know, up to three years post um, their interaction with Pioneer. But um, pretty much if, if a person is doing well one year after um, program completion, they're, they're going to be, they're going to do quite well, particularly if they're older. So, um, so the number of stories, I mean, that program by itself has served well over a thousand people since we have um, been offering it, which has been for about five years. But even a program that deals with folks that immediately come from homeless, which is a difficult population to work with, mm -hmm. we have um, stabilization programs that we call, the point is to stabilize an individual um, and, um, and they come directly from homelessness and, um, out of those programs, 85% stay in treatment and over 50%, um, stay in housing. That's amazing. It, it really is. And it just shows you that if you treat people, um, appropriately for where they're at, you can have strong outcomes yeah. and we have evidence-based programs and, um, and they're, and they're very, very, very effective. Um, um, and we're, we're proud of that. So when you ask me about stories and you think about a company that serves 10,000 people a year, they're just yeah. almost, there's <laughs> so many, many stories. They, they just run together. It's, yeah. it's what is the most recent story that I want to talk about. But, um, but generally, my happiness comes from um, seeing a person that is um, buying a house. They've reunited um with their children mm -hmm. right because typically yeah. people are separated from their children through this process through the process of addiction mm -hmm. homelessness crime um they've you know found love in some form or fashion whatever love works for whatever love that they're seeking in their life but they're in relationship yeah and um and and then uh, many of them will say, gosh, I want to give back. I want to be 
a counselor. I want to get my, um, you know, my AA in counseling, or I want to, um, I want to be a sponsor in a 12 step program because that worked for me, or I want to be active, you know, in, um, in a recovery circle, um, or a tribal, you know, there's lots of, um, after, after, um, treatment programs that people can participate in. And we believe it's important that you choose one. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, at the completion of of therapy, you still want to be surrounded with a group of like-minded people. And and so that needs to come from um, a community-based volunteer type of organization that your friends can come from. And typically you'll see people marry an AA partner or someone in their recovery mm-hmm. circle. And, um, and you know, that's a wonderful thing because life gives us up and downs. Yeah. Right. So if, if a person's been in recovery for five years and they have a wonderful job, but they have a death in their family, that's when it's so difficult to stay true. And when your life partner um, is in recovery with you, mm-hmm. you have that anchor, you yeah. have that anchor so that you're not going to, um, you know, to kind of, to falter because right. for many people, it's a lifelong, um, it's just a lifelong journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And to still be a part of that community and have that community support as well when life gets challenging Mm -hmm. and to have a partner that understand. I mean, I think that's invaluable to have a partner and a community of people that understand your experience on a personal level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all of these amazing programs that you have obviously require money, I would imagine to Mm -hmm. keep them running. How do you, how do you fund Pioneer Human Services or how do you keep everything, keep expanding and offering all these amazing services? So if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I know you know about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so the needs at the bottom of the triangle um, that, that um, we address as a nonprofit are typically fully funded. So any, any service that we offer that's, that's at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, so a service that involves detox or stabilization or... Um, um, trying to think, or um, 60 day residential treatment programs, or um, you know, emergency, you know, temporary housing. If it's, if it's along that bottom um, portion of the triangle, then there's, there's government funding that for that. And so typically what we do is we'll develop a program and then we'll respond to a government need. So in King County, um, we're in any county in the state that we operate in that, you know, the county will have a behavioral health division it, and it will get uh, funding from federal government from the state um, to make sure that people are, you know, um, are, are safe. That's the county's responsibility. It wants to make sure that the citizens are safe. And what we do is we uh, uh, provide um, programs in that bottom level that are typically funded through a county. And then as you move up the triangle, then the programs are funded less and less and less. So um, an example of a, of a program that's funded um, through, I would say, p- um, public sources would be um, a 60-day 
treatment stay at a residential treatment facility or a two week stay at a stabilization center or five days stay at a, they used to call them detox centers. Now they're um, really not called that anymore. Um, or a several day stay for harm reduction for people that are using, but are looking for some place to go. We, we offer all those types of programs. And those are jail alternatives, jail diversion. So those are typically funded, but as you move up, so when we talk about job training, that is not funded and I believe it should be. Yeah. So we use the profits from our, um, our aerospace manufacturing company combined with money that we receive through philanthropic efforts. So we go out and we raise money and then the combination of those two funding sources is what enables us to, um, to offer services that are much higher up in Maslow's, in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs triangle. Wow. And there is no government funding for work training or, or. No. Wow. Mm -mm. Okay. That's I, that I learned something new today and that, that would make a world of difference. I would imagine. Yes. Because everyone needs to support themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about your uh, jail diversion program. And so that is instead of going to jail for if somebody is arrested for something related to addiction or, or something they can, they do have the opportunity to seek treatment at that point. Yes. And in fact, there was a Supreme, a Supreme court decision recently called Blake. The decision came down February 25th and that decision was earth shattering in in our landscape so that decision said that convictions related to um, possession of a controlled substance if they didn't if because they didn't have an intent requirement they just said they were all unconstitutional and that law went back to 1971 wow so anyone who was incarcerated with a felony charge related to controlled substances has to be resentenced. And in its place, if a person is stopped with a felony, I mean, with a controlled substance, the first two times it's a misdemeanor and we have to offer treatment. So jurisdictions have to offer treatment now. They can't say, you have two grams of cocaine on you, you're gonna go to jail. And, uh, and this case was around a person who had borrowed somebody's clothes and there were drugs in the pocket and um and she was arrested during a raid and she said wait a second i just borrowed this person's pair of jeans they're not my drugs i didn't even know they were there wow and um and it really caused a sea change in how we look at um addiction and i'm really really excited so so the law so the the law in response to blake goes into effect the first of july and um i would say that uh there's a lot of scrambling going on with um, the prosecutor's office right now to start to get those cases retried. But we're expecting our prison population to drop um, from a high a year ago of 18,000 down to right around 10,000. That, so, wow, that's amazing. Yes. Almost mm-hmm. half. Yes. Yeah. So exciting times for Washington. And, yeah. um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a two-year kind of trial law the um the you know the first two times are misdemeanors so i think if our state makes if 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 it makes progress with this different approach we'll we'll see some change i'm hoping yes that is a that is very hopeful so if any if people in the community want to get involved with pioneer services do you have 
volunteer opportunities or, or if anyone else wants to contribute in some sort of way? Yes. The first thing that I would say is, is make yourself known to Pioneer. So come to our website, pioneerhumanservices.org, and we have a mass incarceration quiz we'd like you to take. So um, pioneerhumanservices.org forward slash mass incarceration. Take our quiz and um, read and peruse our website. Take a look at our, our success stories. And if, if it's something that you want to get involved in, it's as simple as emailing us or calling the front desk saying, put me down to volunteer. Okay. And um, you will get to our volunteer coordinator and, um, and we'll be in touch. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so glad, Karen, that you could join us today. I, I am just so impressed by your organization and I love for people to learn more about it. You're doing such great work. Okay, thank you.